today we're talking about what we believe. We all believe something. We have a belief about different things. Uh, Willie Nelson says this, I believe that all roads lead to the same place, and that, and that is wherever all roads lead to. Or uh, Joseph Stalin says, I believe in one thing only, the power of human will. Or Keisha says, I believe in karma, and I believe if you put out positive vibes to everyone, that, you're, that all you're going to get back, that's all you're going to get back, is positive vibes. Arnold Schwarzenegger said, the mind is the limit. The mind. As long as the mind can envision the fact that you can do something, you can do it. As long as you really believe it 100%. Or Stephen Hawking said, God is the name people give to the reason we are here. But I think that reason is the laws, or I think that reason is the laws of physics rather than someone with whom one can have a personal relationship. He calls physics an impersonal god that's what he believes or muhammad ali says i believe in the religion of islam i believe in allah and peace or audrey hepburn says i believe in pink i believe that laughing is the best calorie burner i believe in kissing kissing a lot and this is a quote okay i'm not making this up i believe in being strong when everything seems to be going wrong and i believe that tomorrow is another day and i believe in miracles so pink and kissing and miracles can form that into your theology. Do all roads lead to the same place? Can physics get me to heaven or pink? Is the mind the limit? Is that what we're grasping for? Is that what we're reaching for? Does it matter what we believe? Does it matter? Our new series is called Jesus Plus, and it's a study of Colossians, the book of Colossians is what we're going to begin to wrestle through until we hit the Advent season. So for the next uh, couple months. And Colossians was a letter that Paul and Timothy wrote um, to a city, to the church in a city called Colossae. And it was a city actually a lot like Maple Ridge. I think as I looked into it, I felt like there were a lot of similarities, a lot of connections. You know, uh, Colossi felt important until they realized there was a Highway 1 and that traffic was going around Highway 1, not through the Lougheed. And so uh, they just weren't as important as they felt like they should be. And now they're a little bit out of the way. They're maybe struggling with some jealousy toward thriving Langley or Laodicea in their case. Uh, Whatever, wherever you point your jealousy. The SkyTrain won't ever come here and maybe we'll get a beeline at some point. And uh, then we'll feel like we're moving somewhere. And that's how, that's a lot of Colossi's story too. And like us, they are wrestling with what they believe. And Paul writes a letter to encourage them. And that's the letter that we're going to be exploring and looking at. Because I think there's a lot of encouragement in this letter for us. In that we're uh, in a very similar situation. So let's read, let's start it. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. We're just going to take the first eight verses, and we'll talk about that this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. It's after Philippians. It's kind of toward the back. It's in the, in the letters, and uh, they're not all very long, but um, you can find it there after Philippians, and, um, or if you have an app. And I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, 
to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is God's word. So today we're talking about the good news that changes us and bears fruit, that the good news that changes us and bears fruit is just Jesus. The good news that changes us and bears fruit in us is just Jesus. There's a few different philosophies we could follow, and one of them could be called the Jesus Plus philosophy. When um, George Whitfield, he was a famous evangelist way, way back in the day, and he was in a city, and he was evangelizing, witnessing, sharing with people, and he met a guy, and he said, so what do you believe? And the man said, well, uh, I believe what my church believes. And George said, okay, well, what does your church believe? And the man said, well, my church believes what I believe. And George Whitfield was like, okay, well, what do you both believe? And the guy said, the same thing. Like, couldn't get beyond that. And the question is, do we know what we believe? If someone asked you that question, what do you believe? Could we answer, does, does what we believe shift and change? Is it affected by culture or our friends at the water cooler who are talking about things and slowly, oh, things begin to shift? Paul writes a letter, and he opens it the way I think all letters should be opened, really which is by saying who the letter's from, right? Doesn't that make more sense than putting your name at the end of the letter, right? So he puts it at the beginning. That's how they wrote. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, the letter's from both of them. And it's to the saints and faithful brothers, and you should read sisters there too. The word is for siblings. It's not a male word. It's a word that means siblings. So brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And Paul and Timothy are writing to the Christians in Colossae because there's a problem. There's a problem. See, Colossae is is a city in the Roman province of Asia. Here's my map. So you can see there's, if you can recognize, there's Turkey. And the one leg in the middle is Greece. And then you can see the boot of Italy. Okay? So back in the day, there wasn't Turkey there was the Roman Empire. And so the part that's Turkey now was called Asia. It was like a province of the Roman Empire. And so that's where we find Colossae. And it's near, if you go to the next slide, it's near Laodicea and Hierapolis up here. And you can see how far away it is from Ephesus, which is maybe a name you know if you've been in the Bible before. So um, a famous letter is the letter to the Ephesians. And so that's where Ephesus is, over there on the coast. And Colossae used to, Colossae used to be important, and uh, now it's really out of the way. There's new trade routes, and the new trade routes and roads ran through 
they ran through Ephesus now, not through Colossae, and so they're, they're off the road. It's about 100 miles on the Roman road, which might seem like a lot to you, but on a Roman road, it was pretty good. So the travel was okay, but it was, it's just now out of the way. And Paul hasn't even been there before. It's not like this is a church Paul planted. This is a church planted by a guy named Epaphras. And he's the church planter. And at some point he went to Ephesus where Paul was. And he went to the tent meeting or whatever it was. And he heard the gospel, the good news message. And he responded. And then he took this good news message. And he went and he brought it to, the, to this new church in Colossae. And so this is the deal. And then over the years, he started to get concerned about the teaching. So I don't know if he, maybe he just got it going, and then he went on planting more churches. But when he came back, he became concerned about the teaching and the direction that was happening in the church there. And so when you're not sure, and you go to the, the elders or the people in charge, and you say, oh, I'm concerned, and they say, no, 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 it's not a big deal. He went to the big dog, which is Paul. And Paul was imprisoned, and so... Um, scholars and historians will say likely that was in Rome. So Paul was in jail in a few places, but likely it was Rome. And so Epaphras makes the trip to Rome, and he tells Paul, and then Paul writes the letter with Timothy, and he gives the letter to a guy to carry, and he also gives him two other letters, the letter of Ephesians and the letter Philemon, to go and deliver all at the same time. And this is about 62 A.D., and no one's really sure you, we can, that people posture what the problem was. What was the problem they were dealing with? And we have some idea because we can read Colossians and we can see the things that Paul's writing about. The problems he's addressing. And so it seems like the Colossians' problem was that they had Christians who were rolling in Jesus with the lucky rabbit's foot. Like, we got Jesus and my lucky rabbits, but we got some charms here. I'm going to wear these charms because they're keeping me safe. I pray to angels, and the angels protect me in my city, in my house, and that's why I pray to the angels. And then alongside that, they rolled in some of the, the Jewish stuff. So they were taking Sabbath and the festivals and saying, this is how we're justified. If we do, we do all these things, we get it all together, now we're safe. Now we've got it all nailed down. And this was the problem. I call it the Jesus plus plan. The Jesus plus plan. You want a new device? You get the plus device, right? It's better. And you and I are familiar with this kind of theology because it's very popular right now. There was a book quite a few years ago. It was called The Life of Pi. If any of you read it, it was a well-known, best-selling book. And it was a, uh, the whole story of this boy's life. And the beginning of the book talks about he's born into a Hindu family. And then he's interested in other things, so he goes to the mosque, and he converts to Islam. And then he also secretly goes to the church, and he converts to Christianity. And so the priest and the imam and the, the Hindu guy, guy, I don't know what he's called, they're all, they all end up together talking and saying about, oh, I've got this great new convert, and blah, 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 blah. And they end up realizing it's all the same kid. And they all call him in each one and say, you can't do this. You can't have one. You can't have all these. You need one. Choose one. And the boy says, no, I'm going to do them all. And the kind of thrust of the book is like, this is a good thing, that he could choose them all and take the best things from all of them. And this is kind of how it goes. And I think a lot of us have this. If we, we've heard of it, we know about it, or we, or we think it. Jesus plus something. 
plus karma or luck or the universe or we rub Jesus' belly for our favorite sports team. Jesus and Muhammad or Jesus in Eastern religion or Jesus in materialism. That sound, sound familiar, anyone? Jesus in religion. That's a common one. Jesus in superstition. Jesus plus what? What do you add to Jesus to live your life? What are we adding? What the Colossians struggled with and what we struggle with is the same things. It's the same things. Is it possible to add to Jesus? Is it possible? You know, and Willie Nelson said, made that statement, all roads lead to the same place. And this is a common cultural belief that, that our, our culture holds. Maybe some of you believe this. And you're wrestling. Maybe it's one of the things you wrestle with as you come to Christianity. And maybe you, you're, as you're wrestling with Christianity, you're wrestling through some obstacles to, your, to, to believing. Maybe some things that hold you back. And if we sat in a coffee time and I said, what's holding you back from Christianity? You would give me your list. Maybe this would be one of the things. And Keller, Timothy Keller, calls these beliefs defeater beliefs. And this is how he describes them. There are common sense consensus beliefs that automatically make Christianity seem implausible to non-Christians. So there are things our culture believes that we consider to be common sense, and so when we hear about Christianity, we wrestle through the claims of Christianity, we say, oh, it can't be true because of this. And we have these things. If defeater belief A is true, then belief B can't be true. So a Colossian and Canadian defeater belief is that Jesus alone cannot be the only way to heaven. That's a belief our culture holds, and maybe some of you hold. Jesus is that. that. Can he be the only way to heaven? That sounds pretty exclusive. And so there's a couple of things you need to know, and you need to know as you're talking with people. The first thing is that this belief is a cultural belief that we hold as a culture. If you go to a different culture, They have different problems with Christianity about different things, not this thing. Because if you go into the Middle East and you say, Jesus claims to be the only way to salvation, he claims that this is the only way, they'll say, okay, fine, yeah. They don't have any problem with a religion claiming that they are the only way. That's not their problem. But here it is. And you know what? If you talk to the Romans, they were happy to add gods to their God collection. The more gods, the better. The more protected you were. So we got some more gods we had. Oh, Jesus, this God. Okay, yeah, put them in there. Yep, put them in with all my other stuff. Great, super. And I think Canadians are like this. We talk a lot about how atheistic Canada is, and I would say there's a lot of Canadians who are very spiritual. And the problem isn't spirituality. It's that they're closed to the idea that there's only one God, the Jesus-only kind of talk. That's what bothers people. And the second thing which leads us into is that This kind of inclusivity to say everything, all the roads lead to the same top of the mountain. It all is going the same place. The problem with this is that it is itself a covert exclusivity. So the inclusivity of saying everything it goes, all of it works together is actually its own exclusive belief. Because the idea that no one should insist their view of God is better than the rest— and every religion is equally valid, it can only be true if there is no God or if that God is very impersonal and doesn't care what you believe. And so that is a belief system. To believe 
in a system where all the roads lead to the same place and there's no God or a very impersonal God, that is a belief system that excludes the belief that God is personal and he cares what you believe. Paul's letter to the Colossians is to clarify what the Christian view of God is. It's to clarify it. And so there's things that we can learn and appreciate as we approach it. I call his, his uh, approach the just Jesus. And it's better math, just Jesus. You know, I don't like math. I don't even like putting the word in a sermon. Because I, and I actually had, I had some mothers come and talk to me after I said this before. They said, that's not a good thing to say for our kids to hear. That our pastor didn't like math. So kids, I love math. And you should love math, too. And my wife teaches math, loves math. She loves math and teaches math. And now you kids plug your ears, and I'm going to say what I really think. <laughs> that I don't like math. I struggled with it going through school. It, I understood on some level, but it always felt a bit foggy. I tried to remember the rules. I didn't know why we're trying to get X to a number. Why can't we just leave him alone? He seems happy over there beside the equal sign. Like, what are we doing this for? And there was one part of math that I did really love. And the part of math that I really loved was the zero times table. (laughs) Anyone else? Anyone else? Yeah, thank you. The zero times table is awesome. Don't you love it? Like, I didn't even, I didn't even know why. But you heard, I heard the rule. Zero times anything is zero. I was like, yes, this is, I can get behind this. So a million eight hundred and fifty-six two thousand twenty-five six. I'll make up some crazy number. Times zero is zero. This is great, super. It's the same with Jesus math. Jesus plus anything is zero. It doesn't work. I had the word weird there before instead of zero. It doesn't work. It gets weird. If you add something to Jesus, it ends up coming out as zero every time. It's this weird thing. The message of Colossians is unequivocally just Jesus. Just Jesus. Paul starts his letter with this encouraging reminder. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving weekend. So some of you are going to, maybe you'll go and be with family. Maybe some of you will have a meal. Some of you will just avoid it altogether, and that's okay too. And for us, in our family, one of the things we do, traditions at the meal, is we're supposed to say things we're grateful for. So we, like, share around the table, even, you know, people who are grudgingly, you know, share something. Elijah, I think, said um, he's grateful for the turkey that gave his life for my enjoyment which was clever, and uh, we laughed. And Paul is doing the same. He's sharing his gratitude. But his gratitude isn't directed at the Colossians. Thanks for your great faith. Thanks, yeah, thank you for your great faith. Yes, you're awesome. Thank you for that. You guys are doing great. What he says is he thanks God, grateful to the Father for their faith. Because it's a God gift. And Paul does this in almost all his letters. 
if you read through all the letters, the beginning of every letter, lots of... So Romans 1 verse 8 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because you are so great. No, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. I thank God for your faith. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we also thank God constantly for this. For what? That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Paul says, I'm thanking God that when you heard the word, you accepted it. I'm thanking God for that. Or 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, we all ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love for every each one of you, for one another, is increasing. There's this picture. He keeps thanking God for their faith, thanking God for their love. His gratitude is directed at God because God is the one who's doing it. And Paul is grateful for the work of God in the community, despite their confusion, despite their bad math, despite their zero-sum additions to Jesus. Paul reminds the church of the simplicity of faith. It's God. God is the active agent. We're looking to God to do this work. Faith and love grow because of God. And it is a simple faith. It's a simple thing. And Paul summarizes it in a way that lends to the simplicity. Something very uncomplicated to follow Jesus. Something very straightforward about this description. And this is how he does it. He uses the trifecta, faith, love, and hope. This These three things, the faith that we trust Jesus, and we love people, and it flows out of hope, which is a belief in the promises of God. Paul says, when we heard of your faith and of the love you have. Now, these two things, when he says, I heard about your faith and we heard about your love, those two things aren't separate things. And we might read them that way. We might think, oh, yeah, there's faith. I'm working on my faith. Now I'm working on my love. Got my love and I got my faith. But those things are connected. And it's called, actually, there's a, a word for it. It's called a hendiatus. Hendiatus. So you can write that down and use it with your friends and sound smart. That's what I always do. That's why I'm saying it to you. Hendiatus. And the hendiatus means two words that combine to form one concept. Two words that combine to form one concept. And so, in the Greek, these two words, faith and love, aren't separate ideas. They're connected. Like, it could have been written, loving faith. Or it could have been written, a faith expressed in love. Like, your faith shows up in love. Loving people. These these ideas aren't separate. The outflow of faith is to love people. That's how it works. And then Paul connects the third part of the triad, which is hope. And he does this a lot in lots of places. First Corinthians 13 is the most famous, where he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love, an often quoted passage. Or in 1 Thessalonians, how he opens the book of 1 Thessalonians, the letter. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, remembering before God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. These three things are connected. Or 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
these three things connected over and over and over. Now, hope isn't like the warm feeling we get. Oh, like, oh, I feel hopeful, so I feel warm and happy. Hope is the confession of confidence in the promises of God. The confession of confidence in the promises of God. That's hope. And our hope is in the God with power to raise the dead. Our hope is in the God who saves us when we couldn't save ourselves, even though we didn't deserve it. He saved us. Hope is fulfilled in the returning of Christ. Our hope looks to Jesus' return. That's why we say it every, even as we celebrate communion. We're looking to the return of Christ. Our hope doesn't disappoint us. It's a hope that doesn't disappoint. And our hope is in Jesus alive in us, the hope of glory. It says a little bit later in Colossians. The hope of glory is Christ in us. This is our hope. Uh, A guy named Antoine wrote, uh, If you want to build a ship, don't herd people together to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. To long for the endless immensity of the sea. If you want to build a ship, don't give people jobs. Tell them what to do. Cause them to long for the, for the, the thing we're looking at. And hope is the same. Our Christian life flows from the simplicity of longing for, to experience the endless immensity of the love of God. So we're not, we're not bogged down in the detail. Oh, there's so much to do. Oh, there's so much duty. And there's so many things we're supposed to do. It's like clear the deck. The reason why we move forward is because we're longing to experience God, his love. And that's our hope, and that's what drives us forward. Faith in Jesus, expressed in love for others, flowing from a mighty hope. And it's a fruity gospel, if you will enter into it. Um, My grandparents lived in California, and so we would go down when I was younger, we would go down and visit them, and when I was really little, my great-grandparents were still living, and so my grandparents lived on the farm, but my great-grandparents had a house, and so we'd go visit them in their house, and I remember that they had a grapefruit tree, three grapefruit trees, getting this symbol. I was just making sure because I looked at my mom, made sure. Three grapefruit trees, I only remember one. It doesn't really matter how many. I just remember that I was shocked that grapefruits grew on trees. I knew about apples, I knew about plums, and somewhere in my mind I knew that citrus fruit grew on trees. I mean, I wasn't an idiot, right? Okay, nod your heads, thank you. But when you see it on a tree and you pick it and you eat it, it's different. Something changes. We had a girl in university that we knew, and she showed up for university with a suitcase with clothes in it, and a suitcase full of oranges and grapefruit. She was from California, and she knew where citrus fruit comes from. She didn't know anything about the Canadian customs laws, but she knew about fruit. She did, and she brought it in her suitcase because it's fresher, and it tastes different when you just pick it from the tree. You guys, Paul reminds the Colossians and us this simple message. Faith in Jesus, expressed in love for others because of hope in God, should be alive. It should be a living thing that bears fruit in us. Some of you buy your fruit at the grocery store. 
Your citrus fruit. Does anyone not buy their citrus fruit at the grocery store? Yeah, because we don't live in California, do we? So you know what? It's really easy for us to forget. As you go to the produce aisle and you pick up, I like the bag of oranges, personally. You get a whole bag there, and you just you get what you get, and you don't get upset, right? You just take it. Maybe there's a bad one, but whatever. You can handle that, and it's a better deal. Some of you, you like to pick up each orange, feel it, and shake it, and squeeze it, and then you put it in the thin plastic bag, and you put in another one and another one, and then you twist it with the twist tie, and then the bag rips, and then you get another bag, and you put it over it and twist the tie, and then you go buy it, and you've forgotten something really important. That fruit grows on trees. It lives. And seeds fall into the ground and they die. And then new life happens. And things are picked and plucked and they grow and they taste better when they're fresh. As indeed in the whole world, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing, Paul says. Have we forgotten? The gospel is alive. It's the good news. The news of redemption for every willing heart. Every willing heart. It's beautiful and powerful. Oh, not around here. He's dying around here. Another church closed its doors. Lift your head. Because you know what? Around the world, the church is not shrinking. Do you know in China, they, don't, they can't even keep track of the numbers because there's what's called the three-self church, and the three-self church is the registered church. And there's about 49 million people in that church. 49 million. Do you know how many people live in Canada? Yeah. 49 million people are registered, and then they've got the underground church, which is their word for churches that are not registered with the government, and there's lots of house churches, and they meet in 50s and 60s and 20s, and they're all over the place. And so estimating it is really hard, but I saw some numbers, so I don't know, this is statistics, so take it or leave it. 234 million Christians in China. You guys, South America? There's 425 Catholics. I don't know how you feel about Catholics. They're in, man. They, once they get a hold of the gospel, 425. There are Protestant churches growing. Growing 49 million in, 44 million in Brazil. The church is growing. In Africa, 8 or 9 million Christians in the 1900s. And now it's 335 million These numbers should be a little bit staggering to you. They're to me because I don't do math well. (laughs) This is a lot of people. This is only a few of the places we're talking about around the world. And of course, when Paul writes this to the church, he's talking about the Roman world. That was the world. When he says the whole world, that was the whole world. They They don't consider there's anything beyond the Roman world. That's like the civilized world. This is the Roman world he's talking about. How much more true is this now that we can tell, we can see what God is doing in all sorts of countries around the world? The gospel goes out bearing fruit. And Paul reminds the Colossians and us that it doesn't just do that out there. It does it in here. In you and in me. 
the gospel is meant to bear fruit. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Man, I love this verse. The fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. That's beautiful. So powerful. What are you doing? What are we doing? When we gather together, what are we doing? When you scatter, you go out to all of your places, what are you doing? We're smelling like the fragrance of Jesus. That's what we're doing. We're bearing gospel fruit. What's that smell? Oh, it smells like oranges, doesn't it? Yeah, no, that's Jesus. Jesus in me. In my driveway. At the mall. At the school. At work. When I'm at the gym. What's that smell? It's Jesus. Or it's Beal. <laughs> Hopefully Jesus. What do people smell when they get around you? What are they smelling? What do they know? What, what's the fragrance they get? Is it the fragrance of Jesus? Maybe some of you are like, well, how do I get that more? I, want, I need that because that's not what people are saying when they're around me. How do I get it? Where does it come from? The gospel's been working in you. That's where it comes from. It works in you. It breaks you open. And then suddenly there's this aroma that's coming from your life. In the ESV, Paul, it says, Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, or the NIV, which usually applies the, the interpretation a little more for us, so a little bit clearer maybe in the English, since the day you heard it and understood God's grace, truly understood God's grace. And another Hendiatus. This is another one. Heard and understood two verbs that describe one act, receiving grace. It's beautiful. It's powerful. So we heard and understood grace, receiving grace. This is not like understood like how I understand math or don't understand math. This is like I understand like it's changed my life. I understand it. Now my whole life is altered because of it. I understand, yes, and it's changed me. Way too often we talk about believing in God like it's a brain exercise. Like I believe certain things, certain statements, and that's my belief. Man, Carl, Carl Jung, when he was asked if he believed in God, he said, no, I don't believe in God. I know God. Like, whoa, I don't know if I'd say that, but like, Wow. A.W. Tozer says this, we've substituted theological ideas for an arresting encounter. We are full of religious notions, but our great weakness is that in our heart, there's no one there. Oh, man. Why isn't my life fragrant? Do you know Jesus? Have you gotten a hold of grace? Has it transformed you? Do you understand it? heard and understand and man once that happens it just starts flowing trusting jesus becomes loving people spilling out of a mighty hope in god the good news that changes us and bears fruit is just jesus the jesus plus plan i think is is around us all the time and the pressure's on the pressure for us to soften the math 
or to be tolerant. Why not Jesus plus some other things? A dib a dab of this and a smattering of that. And we wrestle like the Colossians. Paul's math is just Jesus. Just Jesus. Any addition zeroes the equation for him. We trust Jesus alone. And this expresses itself in a love for others. And it lives and it breathes because of hope. Our hope in God. And it's a fruity gospel. Paul reminds us that what we believe should be alive. There should be something vibrant about it. It should reproduce. It should smell. People should know. But only once we've got a hold of grace. Really got a hold of it. Then it just, it just starts happening. Let's pray.